0: Yeah,
1: last time you touched someone. Want
0: to wake up? Do you? My name is Tom Jennings, and this is the 24 Frames cast. I just want to begin by thanking everyone who emailed and tweeted. their support and how pleased they were to have the the, the show come back and uh, after that kind of hiatus that I went on and it was certainly um, very encouraging and um, always quite humbling as well to receive such nice words so thank you all for everyone that got in contact with me. Um, I wanted to kind of keep the momentum up really and try and get into a more regular pattern of putting shows out and I had a few ideas in mind and a couple of of shows that I've been editing and kind of recording bits here on, that, that kind of here and there over the past six months. That kind of, I thought I could rush one of those through and kind of complete it. But I thought I, you know, I, bearing in mind I'd spent so much time on some of them already, I thought it might be worth kind of doing them properly before I um, unleashed them into the wild, as it were. And in that time, I went to the cinema to watch Under the Skin, um, the new film by British director Jonathan Glazier and I was so taken with it and so impressed and amazed that I decided I was going to do a, an episode dedicated solely to it so I don't normally kind of review I suppose um, really kind of recent cinema releases a, a great deal and it's always kind of quite surprising um, I, think, I think when you go to the cinema and a film has such a profound impact on you and I, I just felt compelled to talk about it so this is going to be an episode on Under the Skin I will warn you now there are spoilers throughout so if you haven't seen the film um, it might be worth watching it first uh, I don't entirely ruin the film but um, certainly I'll be giving a lot away about it so uh, you might want to bear in that in mind before we proceed so without any further ado here are my thoughts on Under the Skin <laughs>
1: I think, looking at the film we've made, um, there is a there's a definite spiritual connection to the book um, and the central character of the book, um, which is, I think, the thing that took me a long time to understand was, was that it was about her, really. And even though it's very obvious, it's the, uh, the advantage of hindsight, whatever, that, that, uh, Makes me able, you know, that means I can say that now. But, but her as the molten core of the story, and being being with an alien viewpoint, um, and they, uh, the lens, you know, her the alien lens looking at the world through an alien lens, um, and the opportunity that that gives you as a filmmaker, you know, to sort of resee things, because she's seeing them for the first time. And then the challenge of that, you know, the difficulty of having to um, once you commit to that perspective of, of, of telling a story from outside.
0: Now, when I was in my teens, I saw David Carmel's Demon Seed. Now, for those of you who have never seen it, it's a film about a computer that takes Julie Christie hostage in her own home, impregnates her with a child born of both human and computer. It is a thoroughly unpleasant film. I would not for a second suggest it is a particularly great one, far from it, but it is chillingly effective in creating a genuine sense of real menace. And indeed, after seeing it, I have no shame in admitting that I found it quite hard to sleep for a while. And looking back, it was something of a watershed moment in my life and the relationship I have with horror, terror and cinema in general because most modern, and for that fact a great deal of horror films in general, rely on shocks. The recent Woman in Black was a good example whereby although effective bangs and sudden shrieking strings on the score may elicit a jump or recall in fright but the fear simply in most cases or the reaction to what you're seeing passes and these films are for the most part to me fairly forgettable. Now going back to Demon Seed and how my kind of cinematic fear was born it's the worst type of film for me are the ones which kind of eat away at you for a few days and it might be subtle at first but the more you think about it the more impossible it comes to shake your mind kind of fills in the blanks and in most cases that's far worse than anything you could have seen or been shown thats and for most cases that's actually a lot worse than what you might have been shown when you're actually watching the film and with Demon Seed I found myself thinking about being in that kind of position, that kind of helpless tr- entrapment as it were and this kind of horrible idea of this kind of machine conducting experience in me and it you know generally spooked me for quite some time and I think a film like David Finch's Seven is a classic example and you don't see any if real, actual gore, you don't see the killer doing anything, instead you see the result of his actions after the fact, leaving you to imagine, and the genius of Finch's directing is that the film actually promotes this kind of reaction all the time. And Seven also works on the basis that it roots you in a very familiar world, and that is of genre convention. You know, we, we've seen this kind of film before, haven't we, this is going to be an easy, the cops will not get on at first and over the course of the film will put their differences aside and find the killer. I mean, that doesn't quite happen, the killer gives himself up about two-thirds into the film, and you begin to suspect something very wrong is going on, and Seven throws you because it knows what you've seen before and subverts your preconception, and lets the film's most gruesome acts play out in your mind. And the result is that you kind of tend to kind of forensically pick your way back through the film, and it's the horror that burns deep and stays with you for a long time, and I, I can only think of a handful of films that have had such a profound impact on me, like Seven. And it tends to be these films I'm more inclined to return to as the years go on. Now, I know hyperbole is the very foundations that the internet film criticism is based on, but declarations of the best film ever made are around us all the time for both marketing and, indeed, the internet film community at large. I've spoken at length at how bored I became of hearing the Dark Knight's praised as one of the best films ever made, if not the best by people who I summarised had not seen a great deal many films. Now, I don't have some kind of number in mind of the number of films that you need to have seen before you can make proclamations of what is or isn't the greatest ever made. However, I do believe if you're by your own admission, your knowledge of film is limited to mostly anything released in America over the past 20 years and old boy, then you should at least include the caveat and preference in your opinion that said film is the greatest ever made. Now I'm going to sound like a complete film snob and arsehole now and say that I do think I have seen enough films to make the following proclamation that Jonathan Glaze's latest film, Under the Skin, is not only one of the most effective and outright scary films ever made, it is also, without doubt, one of the best ever made. And yes, I'm talking Sisson and Cain, Seven Samurai and anything released by Ingmar Bermangood. good. It is also, in my 30 years of consciously watching film, the closest thing I've ever seen to actually watching and witnessing a nightmare unfold before me. A film that, in every element of its film, grammar, narrative, convention, star persona and genre convention, bucks, subverts and manipulates and twists every facet of the conventional cinematic norm into an unsettling and profoundly terrifying cinematic experience that has stayed me with since the minute I saw it. I don't hope to convince you during this episode why I'm right, instead I'm going to explain why and how I've come to this conclusion. And if you agree, well after all that is the beauty of films and if you don't, well you're completely wrong.
1: We were trying to put we were trying to create these of these set pieces almost quite you know put down these cards quite early on in the, in our writing which were almost putting her in front of things that we as human beings would respond to in a certain way. And then we could film her, we could then, you know, we could look at that and then we could spin our camera onto her and see what she felt. And of course what we're looking at is not, we're not seeing our own face, we're not seeing, we're not reading her the way you'd read me or I'd read you in those circumstances. We wouldn't, um, there was no empathy.
0: Now I wonder, what would aliens make of this world? and. I've often looked to the stars and, like most people, no doubt wondered what is actually out there. And it, it seems thoroughly inconceivable to me that we are alone in the universe. Take this statistic: even if only one intelligent life form existed in every galaxy out there, we would have a comparatively congested universe of intelligent species of over 20 billion. And I'm sure, if they are out there, they probably wonder the same thing: Are we really the only ones? But I wonder what these life forms would make of us, and. One would hope that we would see a great deal of common ground, even if we were a lesser advance than they. Perhaps they would see similarities with how they once wore, or even take pity on us for some ways. But then a rather more interesting thought crossed my mind, what if they would have the same outlook as we do on lesser species? We have no issue with factory farming cattle, chickens, industrial fishing, destroying habitats. Indeed, it's fairly safe to say we abuse our power in the grand scheme of things, and Of course, alien malevolence is the kind of thing of science fiction lore. They always seem to turn up en masse, armed with huge laser beams, with the sole intention of draining our resources, a bit like American foreign policy in the Middle East. Although often making great spectacle and comedy, and yes, I mean Independence Day, filmmakers also take a more personal take on the alien visitation film. John Carpenter's excellent and thoroughly underrated Starman, The Man Who Fell to Earth and The Day the Earth Stood Still, make for slightly more subtle looks at the human condition, and although they can be quite preachy at times, I'm more of a fan of these type of alien invasion films and the kind of War of the Worlds type ones. And Under the Skin takes the solitary alien concept in the form of Scarlett Johansson, and I will simply refer to her as Scarlett Johansson as the character herself actually has no name in the film. And it's a fairly pedestrian film on first appearances. This is basically Scarlett Johansson driving around Scotland, picking up men, and then through a kind of immersion tank procedure, essentially reducing them to nothing more than bags of skin. We know nothing about where she is from, nor is it ever explained. We don't ever find out why she chooses men, what this procedure she performs on them serves, and why she's on Earth on the first place. The film's opening does suggest a kind of creation is taking place. At first I thought we were actually seeing some planets align, but then... These planets became a human eye staring back at the screen and we see Scarlett Johansson standing over, completely naked as well again, I might add, standing over the body that she's going to inhibit, surrounded by brilliant white light. And instantly I felt somewhat uneasy about Under the Skin, certainly in terms of what what I was to expect from it. And I think Here Lies one of the most refreshing aspects of the film because as Scarlett Johansson drives around the streets of Glasgow hunting her prey, we see her observing men crossing the road and walking along the street. My first indication was of course to make a comparison to taxi driver. And when we kind of go around in, in his taxi with Travis Bickle, he declares to us what is quite clearly an an open a manifesto, a man of manifesto, so he wants to rid the streets of the filth and the scum. And he is becoming a crusader as he sees it against the ills of society. And to a lesser extent, American Psycho exhibits a similar trait. Patman-Batman kills people who we should hate anyway. And often this is done with obviously kind of quite hilarious consequences. Now, humans are pattern-seeking creatures in all walks of life. We don't like the idea of the random. We look into the context in films we watch, and sometimes, even if it is there or not, but reading films is something that we do consciously and even unconsciously all the time. And Under the skin source novel gave a reason for the killings and humans were a delicacy at an alien restaurant and the lead character was dispatched to Earth to pick them up so they could be served as food. And it was supposed to be kind of humour, yet in this adaption the context is removed entirely. And you could ask the question, why does this interest me anyway? Well, think about the last film you saw in which the actions of the lead character didn't actually have a contextual basis of which to reason them. They simply took place without ever telling you why it was actually happening. And come to think of it, ask yourself, why would you even make a film like this in the first place? It's instantly vaguely baffling. What is the arc of the central character, therefore? Screenplay logic demands that they must have some reason for being there in the first place. Surely the experience we go through with them, either negative or or positive, has some kind of transformative effect. Surely that should be the case. Well... I think it's true to say Scarlett Johansson does go on some kind of journey through the film in that she does break away from the normal pattern of her behaviour from what we see at the start, but I feel this is more exploratory than it is revelatory from a character perspective. Now, let us for a minute rewrite Under the Skin. We begin with a spacecraft crashing in the Highlands and alien emerges and we see Scarlett Johansson. We learn that whilst on Earth her power was diminished and that in order to regain her strength she must kill men and drain them of their testosterone. Whilst all this, the government and the police are tracking her. Now, when she's about to kill one of her victims, she suddenly understands humanity. She learns that we have feelings and emotions and that by murdering she is inflicting pain and misery. She makes a decision not to carry on. As her own kind come to a rescue, she dies in the arms of her new human lover. And whilst her rescuers look on, realising that their species is nothing without the power of love and emotion, all can go away having learnt a very valuable lesson it's a heartbreaking scene but everyone concerned has learned that love and humanity are what binds the universe together now it would make a pretty terrible film there is no doubt but you see the point at least this is how these types of films normally play out so when we go back to under the skin and we are kind of placed in this sort of narrative void so to speak whilst watching the film i became acutely aware that i wasn't trying to work out what was going on or indeed look for some kind of more kind of traditional coherent narrative to get become absorbed in instead I was transfixed on the performance of Scarlett Hansen and the direct direction of Jonathan Glazer and the inherent tension that existed in the film completely free of the fact that I wasn't trying to piece together the why or what was actually going on
1: Everything's, everything, everything—the the, the, the human life and activity—is just going on. And, and once you kind of think, well, that's actually our set. It's just this perfect scenario that if you point your camera at a skip or a bus or a, you know, two people having a cup of tea on a, on a, on a you know, at the table outside a cafe, they're all equally relevant to your story. You know, everything's everything's in play. Everything's, um, everything's right. Everything's correct. It's all. It's your, it's the world that you're telling your story in. Is so you're judging everything, whether you and then when you pre-cast actors because it's not like every person in the film is, is photographed without their knowledge. I mean there, there are people in that we cast obviously and and um. You know and then you've got to match that performance to the truth of the world as it is. So you then have this fantastic barometer for everything.
0: In many respects, you feel like something of an accomplice during oh, the runtime of Under the Skin, and. In, large, in some respects, this actually makes you relate to the perspective of Scarlett Johansson even more. Now, when she walks through a shopping centre or drives down the street or simply observes humans talking and eating, you like her look at them in these kind of strange goings on with a sense of detachment. help perhaps cause you don't really hear what people are actually saying in the film or know anything about them. It's impersonal, yes, but to some extent that is kind of the point. And much of the scene shot in a rather sneaky way, too. With Scarlett Hanson donning a near-perfect English accent, she would drive around in a van with hidden cameras in the cabin and direct Glazer glazier in the back. She would then try to coax men into the van under the pretense of asking them for directions and then offering them a lift to wherever it was they were going. And when she actually managed to get people off the street into the van, she would then begin complimenting them. Things like, you're very nice and you have a nice smile, I bet you're really popular and so on and so on. What are you looking for? I'm
1: looking for,
0: for the M8. Up oh, for the roundabout. Are you Heartland? walking? Yep. Where are you
1: walking to? Home. Oh,
0: you're going home. <laughs> to your family? No, no, just myself. Just yourself? Ah, uh, it's great. Yeah, why? I can do whatever I like. So where are you coming from? Govern, right then. Sorry? Govern.
1: Govern,
0: Have you worked there? No, no. Don't work there. I work for myself. Do you want more? Eh, uh, aye, why not? You'll
1: have to tell me how to get there. <laughs> Just follow this
0: road straight up. Okay. So what do you do? Uh, electrician. Oh, you're an electrician. Oh. It's cold. I shall be better. Be I? the where they were sitting next to Scarlett Johansson, the men would begin to react, and of course, who wouldn't like to be complimented by Scarlett Johansson? Even if you didn't know it was her, she's an extremely pretty girl, and the results are there to be seen on screen. Incidentally, after dropping the men off, the crew would then tell the men who they'd just been with and naturally most were completely gobsmacked, and some gave their consent and others didn't, and as I understand some of the best takes, they weren't able to use. But as you are watching this unfold, the meaning and reason become secondary to the dynamics of what you are actually watching. I've never been so transfixed and focused on a film in all my life, and it was here that the intrinsic genius of the film began to come through. Scarlett Hansen is not just another actor. She is one of the most recognisable stars in the world and one of the most iconic sex symbols of the modern age. She reminds me of Moreau, um, Marilyn Monroe or Sophia Loren. Indeed, you know when someone is doing something wrong, when the Daily Mail is always making snide posts about her weight, i.e. why is this girl round and lovers and still becoming famous, which is somehow a crime in the eyes of the Daily Mail. What is so interesting here? Is a notion of sexuality and beauty, and indeed star persona, explored?
1: I was reluctant to have a, somebody familiar in the film. I, an early, my early thing was, you know, to shoot with somebody you wouldn't recognise. You know, that was kind of critical somehow. Like I didn't want, you know, how do you tell the credibility of the story was so important to us? How do we do this credibly? Um, and 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 to be familiar with someone, I, that that felt completely wrong. Um, so there was a period of time where. And I was really thinking about, you know, finding a barmaid in the Holloway Road or something, you know, somebody who would have, who would just be, who would just sort of, like a Robert Bresson character, you know, who would just sort of exist in the film. And then realizing you couldn't put a film together like this with with nobody, it just, you know, the people were saying, forget it, you know, come back when when you've got somebody in mind. And Scarlet came about by thinking about almost... I didn't want to see her. I wanted. I was happy to have her, but I didn't want to see her. What do we do? Do we put a mask on her? How do we do that? Well, we can't do that. So, According
0: to Glazing, some of the men would go into the van and simply dismiss her. Others seemed more interested. But the fact of the matter, without knowing it was Scarlett Johansson, they simply saw her as just another person. A pretty one at that. But crucially, without the gravitas of star behind her, Scarlett Johansson, when removed from the persona of Scarlett Johansson, is just another innocuous part of society. So therefore, what is beauty? It seems such an interesting idea to me. Beauty, as we are told, is in the eye of the beholder, yet the beholder is so open to manipulation and external factors. Beauty is in large extent in the eye of marketing executive, fashion and trend. I cannot deny I am not influenced by popular culture, and it's obvious in many respects, and I would contest people who say they are not are simply lying. What I think Under The Skin does is make you question just how controlled by these factors you actually are. It would seem blindingly obvious that most of the men who got in the in the van with Scarlett Hansen would have instantly succumbed to her charms, but a, a great deal didn't. And I think this really kind of says something about the whole kind of star system in general, really, which I personally think Scarlett Hansen is a fantastic actress who should be famous on the basis she is immensely talented. The fact that she's also attractive is, is, of course, a massive bonus, too. However, adopting a disguise in the film, i.e. a wig and an accent, and her reintegration into normal world is startling to see. I I mentioned in my 2013 review show, part of my reason for not liking Captain Phillips was because I couldn't get over the fact I was simply watching a Tom Hanks here you are acutely aware of the fact you are watching Scarlett Johansson e. yet because we know it is her and those around her don't, her star persona actually works in her favour in terms of the character, because of course we know in the context of the film, this normal person is in fact an alien being. Glazier further adds to the sense that this alien is more than a little curious itself as to the strange world it has found itself on and the human form and again in a way we are forced to look at sexuality in an entirely newer way especially in relation to women and wider society no girlfriend really Oh, i don't have a girlfriend at all You're very charming that's better yeah sorted you have a handsome face Hi. Right. Yeah.
1: thanks a lot cheers you think i'm pretty
0: Aye, ah, you're gorgeous. Do you? Aye, definitely. Good. Aye, I've got a nice smile as well, would Do I? Aye, big thing. What got your smile? Aye. You have a nice smile yourself. So. Cheers. Good. Good. In one scene, the alien stares at its naked body in the mirror, it is curious but seemingly not particularly interested and for the record Scarlett Hansen is completely naked during the scene and glazer cuts quite quickly during it so you never truly see anything too explicit but we are totally drawn into the scene for the very base reason we are seeing Scarlett Hansen naked. In a way, like the, the male members of the audience, we're very much like the victims we're seeing in the films, we simply can't help ourselves but be taken by her. Now, now, of course, I've mentioned it before, but Laura Mulvey's article, "Visual Pleasure and Narrative Cinema," observed film, by the very nature of the degree of male directors in crew, was shot from a male perspective, even on a subliminal level, in a way that imposes a male perspective even on female viewers. And here, there is something subtle about it. Sir Scarlett Johansson is there to be ogled at in a way. Yet, in terms of the character, that's exactly what it wants you to do, as you are technically its prey. Now, I read, and of course, the Daily Mail that. Scarlett Hansen was having to justify why she was naked and I find this is slightly ridiculous because what she was actually doing is contextualizing her reasons for doing so in terms that it was essential to her character. It is interesting that the male used the term justified as it was seen as something we were asking her to do in the first place and I think elements of society still aren't comfortable with female sexuality still to this day. Here of course Scarlett Hansen's body is an object of lust but is also a weapon to be used against men Here, desire and sexual lust are things which will get you killed. Scarlett Hansen is a predator who gets her victims by appealing to the most basic male desire, i.e. lust. Through the history of serial killers, society seems more shocked and horrified by female ones. It's as if there is something more unnatural about them as if they have somehow rebelled against the gender convention that they should be victim and not perpetrator. With her perfect English accent, Scarlett the lures men into her van and begins to woo them with compliments and the hinted promise of sexual fulfilment. The fact that so many of these moments shown were actually unwitting participants in the film makes he seems all the more interesting. What red-blooded male wouldn't want to be picked up by a beautiful woman who showers you with compliments and then has sex with you? One of her potential victims says he has a girlfriend and doesn't want to cheat on her because he gets along with her so well and you must want to shout at him for being so loyal. What I also found fascinating was Scarlett Hansen appears to have no physical strength advantage over humans. These seductions are verbal
1: only. It's so obvious in in retrospect, it's like, put her in disguise, put someone we are familiar with in disguise, drop him in the real world and walk away. Hide your cameras and walk away. And then it's all going on, it's all in play. You've got, you're you're part of the lie, you're part of the conceit. the the, the Scarlett's preparation for the role, her the 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 construction of the of the wig and the makeup and the clothes and the 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 artifice of the accent and the immersion in the function of driving and hunting and all of that stuff, you know, it's equivalent to the story you're trying to tell. The method and the narrative are the same thing. And once that was understood it was that concept drove through the whole project everything was clear then
0: now once she has gotten back to her rather ramshackle disgusting house and in a visually incredible way her victims are dispatched now what normally happens in these scenes is scarlett Hansen strips to her underwear and walks across a blackened room as they follow seemingly in a trance they slowly descend into a pool of liquid that she is simply able to walk over and they cannot And what I found more strange about this was perhaps that in order to kind of give them one last chance to run, the house in which she lives is so utterly awful that that really should be a warning sign as well. And in a sense, she's kind of like the classic story of the sirens goading sailors to their death with their beautiful songs. Although we do see what utterly horrific fates await them, we don't know its purpose, what this process is all about. The function it serves is never even hinted at, and what's more, without giving too much away, we don't even actually really know the gender of this alien. With this in mind, I think back to those van scenes, what if the alien is male simply using what it thinks are very basic codes of seduction, so simplistic yet so effective.
1: And I think the effect of that, the the, the 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 strength of those sequences, is to do with their as much to do with the design is the more so the context. It's more so that if you're coming into them from the world as it is, your 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 senses are just being flooded with a reality of lot of things, and then suddenly you're in this. It's like the, you know it's like uh, it's like you've come to the edge of the world, you know, and suddenly it's just a cliff and a black drop, you know, and and. And it's quite shocking in, in, in its, uh, its it's shocking and quite abrupt in, in, in that and that's that's more real because it's the space is imbued with the reality of everything that's preceded it. You know what I mean? So, and, and we and we kind of understood that we wanted to stay away from alien stuff, you know, engineering and um, form, alien form, alien um, stuff, alien design, which I love in films. I love it, I love. I like seeing that when it's done well. I just I didn't want to. I didn't. That wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, we wanted to we wanted to create a space which felt alien, but you know, in the knowledge that you're limited by the fact that you're doing it using human imagination.
0: Yeah, easily the film's most incredible and arguably noteworthy moment comes when Scully Hansen coaxes a man into the van at night who has a rare condition called neurofimbrosis. Now, for the record, the actor playing this was called Adam Pearson, who does actually have the condition. As in, and at first, I thought it, his face was actually CGI or makeup. And as he gets into the van, he hides his face away, and clearly Scarlett Hansen realises that he is not perceived as normal, and therefore she must change her normal line of attack. But surely she should just throw him onto the street, as such a disfigurement means that, like us, she should shun him. Well, not at all. He, like everyone else that gets in the van, needs to be seduced and lured back. So she begins the most complex seduction of the entire film. The sight of the figure of man trying to be seduced by her is utterly unsettling, not because of his appearance, because of it, how it makes you, the audience, feel. The man himself states, "Sorry, I, I, I'll keep referring to the man, Adam Pearson. We don't actually know his name, but the character's name." But he, he states that he goes out at night because people are nasty to him, and I've seen this for myself with a man in Sheffield who had neurofibromatosis, and it was truly horrific watching grown adults mock a man for his look, and heartbreaking, in fact. But here you are looking at Scarlett Hansen, the film star doing something that every movie we have ever seen, every piece of advertising says she should not. And what is so striking is how she completely ignores his face and begins complimenting in other ways the smoothness of his hands and she tenderly allows him to touch her face and, and you are almost begging her to make some kind of realisation, which I will expand a little bit more on in a little bit. But the traditional role of the social outcast in film is far more typical firstly they act as a kind of emotional anchor for the audience we through their problems have a focus for inserting our own ideal view of the world we would we would be the ones who are nice then we would not act like the nasty people around them and typically in films even the outcasts of social outcasts is a wardrobe change away and a wash from being incredibly looking and just fine the second role is a, another plot device where the outcast is a vehicle by which the protagonist will change by knowing the outcast they will strive to become better, more tolerant perhaps or more caring but certainly they arrive in in a narrative to elicit some kind of change and it's here really where I think I'm still slightly conflicted as to what I think actually happens in Under the Skin because it appears that Scarlett Hansen lets this man live and we see him walking naked through a field and he's then tracked down and by a, motor, a masked motorbike clad helper who she has these kind of guys who are with her, we don't assume they're guys driving around on motorbikes who kind of seem to kind of pick up bodies for her and things like that we don't actually know anything about them she seems to communicate with them although certainly not through the spoken word but one of these guys tracks him down and essentially I think kidnaps him or takes him back or kills him I don't really I, don't, I didn't quite understand what was going on and Although I think her encounter with this guy does make her change in some way, I I would contest it does not in any way, shape or form indicate that the alien itself has suddenly grown a conscience or a heart of some kind. Perhaps it didn't kill the man because something went wrong. And after all, the, the kind of these helpers she has on motorbikes has no problem at all finding him. We just don't see him leave the van. We see him go into the pool as well and it does make her kind of get out of the city and head out into the country to have a bit of a look around and she becomes lost and cut off and ends up in the highlands looking for a way back and it's apparent that she doesn't really have any idea how to do this so begins to take a look at some human pastimes she tries cake and probably spits it out she then gets on a bus and meets a kindly man who senses that there's something quite off of her and tries to help her where she she's where, well help her find a way back basically and the man takes her back to his house. He doesn't appear to be wanting anything more from her. Um, gives her some food and the pair, watch Tommy Cooper, and she makes no attempt at conversation and clearly has zero interest in getting to know him. And I was I was beginning to think at this stage, well, what is really kind of going on? But we kind of see later on that she's at this house, she's sleeping in separate in separate beds to the man, and she stands naked before a mirror, looking intently at her, bo- her body. And clearly, she's completely baffled by it. She makes the odd attempt at mimicking. The man's behavior when he is listening to some music but this seems more like intrigue than it does any attempt at looking for greater integration into humankind and again we are inclined to believe that something revelatory is going to happen to the character this lonely man will teach her something she will learn to feel emotion or something but no this doesn't actually even happen in fact if anything it simply highlights the fact that she, how truly alien she is and the kind of the pair spend i, I assume it's like a day or two together but Obviously, he kind of mistakes the fact that she's kind of hanging around him, that, you know, he, she actually likes him for whatever reason. And there comes a the moment where he tries to have sex with her and clearly Scully Hansen has no idea what he's attempting to do as he removes her underwear. And at the moment of penetration, she jumps up from the end of the bed and shines a light onto her groin. And the man apologises, but she completely ignores him and she looks down almost as if she is genuinely really surprised. You know, what on earth has he tried to do? And although she's aware of sexuality and how to use it, the alien clearly has no idea what sex actually is and how it works. And you could say the man has shown his card, you could say it's almost understandable though, you know, she has given him she hasn't really given him any indication by wanting to leave that she can you know she doesn't like him, but the fact that he's trying to have sex with her might indicate he did kind of have ulterior motives in the end. And, you know, Scarlett Hansen's sexual is simply too much or you know, and I suppose it's kind of a question: Really, you know, is is she simply too alluring, or you know, are men simply led by carnal desires? And it's a question that doesn't really get answered in the film, but to me at least, invites further investigation. And I think the shift in Scarlett Hansen's performance during this part of the film is actually quite incredible. With just a simple look, she conveys so much. You know, what are these humans up to, and why do they eat this vile food? And it's it's all done with just the most fleeting glance or kind of slight change in facial appearance and in of itself it's quite hard it's quite strange to get your head around because of course if you know, we do look at other cultures in in this kind of way you know, what would an alien race make of a lesser species like us and probably the same as we we, we when we look at kind of footage from other countries you know, in the third world and stuff in my, my parents the other day for example um, we're looking at those, those poor the families of those poor people who um, who, who have gone missing in the airplane and my my, my parents were commenting on how distraught the the loved ones seemed as if you know And it's it's blatantly because you know these people we we see them as Asian and they're not equal to white Caucasians and my mother was saying God you know look how upset they are and I said to her you know well that's you know she's crying over the fact that her son's dead you know what she meant to do sort of be sat there kind of being a bit more dignified and we we had this massive debate about it and I I think it's you know it, it is telling you know we as a society, we we do look down at what we perceive as to be lesser races, and I, I think that you know it, it's a in a way I think it's sadly quite a um, an obvious trait of our personalities. And I think that's a kind of there is a coldness to this film, and that I think really is down to Jonathan Glaze and how he shoots it in a manner that doesn't even try to make it look pretty. Now, coming from a director whose background is that of advertising, you may you might think that every frame would be easy on the eye, and with the exception of the incredible death scenes, Under the Skin is a drab-looking film. Um, for anyone who's been to Scotland, it's a beautiful country, the countryside. But, but like anywhere, it doesn't take long to find the grim and Glasgow in the film could not be made to look or feel any more miserable. And as Scarlett Johansson walks through the streets, shopping centres, and drives around the roads, so there's a sense that this city has, it kind of has a dehumanising effect on its population. And I think Glazer appears to be wanting to show that the city makes you anonymous. As people move around not talking to each other, we hear fractured moments of conversation but nothing to distinguish them as individuals. And when I left the cinema and walked down Manchester's busy Oxford Road into a sea of people, and I felt an overwhelming sense of just being another person in a large city and busily going about my my day. And it's a scary thought that through... A, a kind of a scary thought went through my mind, which is, you know, were if I to disappear, who would know and, you know, who would come and look out for me? And, it's not so much insecurities asking that question it's a very, very real thought I was on leave from work so they wouldn't know I didn't know I don't know my new neighbors and there would be no real reason for my friends or family to check in and I think loneliness and the theme of personalization isolation is therefore quite pertinent in the film the alien although she has her helpers is never seen actually talking to anyone It is she is completely alone and the men she manages to kind of sn- snare don't seem to be that missed and Loneliness in the film is a kind of is universal. To agree, we are all you know. Are we all like kind of Scarlett Johansson simply going about our business? In her case, killing our in our case kind of like a robotic loop that goes on and on. And the not the original novel was more satirical. And I hear I think Glaser is being more misanthropic. Perhaps mankind seems strangely adrift in this film. And the quasi kind of documentary observational film grammar constantly put you at arm's length from it. And I love this type of filmmaking and how sparse it is when compared to the hyperkinetics type of so many other films that I see. For example, when Scarlett Hampton enters a house, the camera holds on its exterior. And you, like the man about to go in, are trying to piece together why such a pretty person lives in such a horrid place. And for once, a filmmaker is telling you something about the internal thoughts of a character he's not baffling you with shot after shot It's, I think it's filmmaking at it's very best and I think part of Under the Skin's appeal is for me how it's near and impossible to, f- to define generically and I think Glazier does not he- adhere to generic conventions at all during the film by virtue of the fact that you're watching an alien it is of course a science fiction film of sorts and the, the film's incredible opening suggests an epic kind of you know, planets aligning and this kind of THX 1138 kind of lit scene with Scarlett Johansson beginning to inhibit the body we were going to see in the film but I know it starts with this kind of science fictiony vibe I think very quickly the film completely dispenses with any kind of notion you can have of traditional science fiction conventions and simply put science fiction films don't tend to take place in the present day in Scotland or indeed Britain for that matter and I think why this works so well in Under the Skin is We're looking at this film through a kind of abstraction which is this kind of alien eye view of the normal world and you begin to kind of feel like i said before you are observing this film and observing the world and of course it's the world that is outside our front doors and it's very strange i think to be placed in that kind of perspective within a film where are you going oh yeah for what for work no i need to go meet somebody are you going to meet someone Uh, all right right. well thank you
1: But the aesthetic wasn't important to me on this film, actually. The aesthetic was that there was no aesthetic actually and and everything the word that we kept using was unadorned it was it was very important to me that everything felt unadorned it felt like as it was it should it should be it should it should be as it was. I'd challenge every light you know because because I wanted daylight and i wanted and if and was there enough stop well no there wasn't are you sure there's not enough stop because I'd rather that than anything we're gonna construct, you know. So, so unadorned was key in this film, and things that were witnessed and found, and the beauty would come from the way we put it together. I thought, and the truth of it, if there was any, if we captured that, then that would be the beauty of it.
0: And I think another brilliant little scene is, and it's a very simple moment, but there's a sequence near the start of the film where we see one of her kind of motorbike helpers driving along the roads, and Glazier removes the sound, and from the scene and at low light we see a single headlight darting around the road and I instantly began to think that I was seeing like a spaceship flying around and as of course it got closer it was a motorbike clearly being driven at great speed and you know someone who may or may not be an alien or at least by a human being controlled by it and we don't really know but what kind of struck me right from the off was this film felt incredibly strange and in Glazier through direction and the Scarly Hansen kind of star persona filled the film in to a degree, as I said before, you are very much along for the ride and an observer looking through her eyes at the world she lives in. And I think if you kind of stare at anything long enough, it will begin to kind of change your eyes. A case in point for me was Manchester Town Hall, which is it's a kind of gothic masterpiece of a building, and yet while standing across the road from it the other day, just looking at it, the building looked kind of monstrously large and utterly terrifying to boot, and Perhaps it was just the time of day but I've never seen it look like that before and I work in that building, I see it every day and I, I, <laughs> I was looking at it in a completely different perspective. And Under the Skin is a science fiction film in the recognizable world. I think what happens therefore is that kind of when we see kind of Scarlett Hansen's house it doesn't indicate poverty, class and social deprivation as it would in the real world but it is instead because we know what's inside and it's seemingly kind of TARDIS-like quality of appearing far larger than it actually looks is instead dangerous, forbidding and to a degree extremely frightening but it is after all just a normal house and the detachment with Glazer films is no better highlighted when Scarlett Hansen is on a beach watching a man ride the surf her being there is never really explained perhaps she was tracking this man or perhaps it was a place that had proved rich pickings before you don't really know what then happens is quite extraordinary even for this film Her quarry swims to the aid of a swimmer who has gone out after their dog, another man. The father of the child goes in the water to help save the pair and leaves a baby on the beach. And the man fails to rescue the father and son and comes back to the beach exhausted. And Scarlett Hansen simply bashes him over the head of a rock and drags the body away, leaving the baby screaming on the beach as the waves come in and the image is so shocking because it excuses everything of we know of morality in the traditional narrative cinema the scene should result in someone being safe instead we become complicit with Scarlett Hansen as she stands and watches the screaming child's yells are all the more awful because we know that no rescue is going to come to it we also find out that the child was washed out to sea later on in a news report what struck me was how surreal Glazier made the scene it was a classic set yet by removing her interest in saving anyone, it suddenly became more sinister and, and to a degree foreign. The pebbles, the beach with its pebbles and rocks, were a million miles away from the idyllic image of Sun, Surf and Stan. Instead, it was cold, unforgiving and, much like the lead character, alien and detached. It was quite extraordinary how Glaze was able to create such surrealism out of such an ordinary setting. Yet the detachment is artistically merited because this is a film that's not supposed to make you feel comfortable, and indeed, for the most part, Under the Skin is a galling film to sit through. Despite being a 15 certificate, this was easily the most uncomfortable I've been in a long time watching a film. And of course, in part that is due to the Mika Levi
1: incredible score. I'll tell you my first thoughts about music for the film was no music until he plays her a record. That That was an early draft, was that there's no music until she meets the guy in the bus, they go back to his place. What happens happens? he makes a dinner and stuff, and then he puts up, they, there's a scene i was I, we had a scene where we wrote where he st- where he played a record, and then it was like, well, what record does he play you know what do you play an alien you know what was it and, you know then it was just and then the uh, the choice became so um deliberate you know so arch so like loaded, so important you know and uh that was terrible, sort of cul-de-sac then. But I was convi- I was to if we're going to experience everything as she does, then let's, then let's be denied music until she hears it, until it. And then let's have music, so for the last 20 minutes. And of course then it was like, great, also music budget's tiny, that's going to work, we'll have 20 minutes of music instead of 90 minutes of music, or whatever. Um, so that felt like a good concept and everybody, hold, you know, we all kind of hung our hat on that. And then of course when you're putting the film together, it doesn't work like that. And actually, it didn't work. We needed music sooner and it needed, music needed to be an ingredient in a completely different way than i would imagined. And actually that music that had such importance in, on the page became the, the opposite. In fact, it was like, what would be on the radio? You know, it should just be like heavy rotation, you know, whatever's on the radio while you're washing up. It's not a choice. In fact, turn the radio on now and see what's on the radio. That's what should be on the radio. And that's kind of how... That sort of is what's on the radio. It's, it's so interesting about the process of making anything. It's that you, you, on the one hand, you're completely attached to what you're doing. And on the other hand, you have to remain completely unattached to it. You just don't know when things are no longer going to be important to you. So it's all in orbit all the time. And I remember Pete Rabin, the music producer who found Mika, who came into the... When was, we were talking earlier about the music... Um, I, like, I was saying I like to cut dry for a long time and then, and then finally he kind of knocks on the door and says come on, let's just get some music involved and just play a couple of tracks cut, put a couple of things in and we're looking, we're looking at it and it's not right for obvious reasons but you're sort of you're just suddenly okay, music's now in the room and um, and he played something I can't remember what it was now but we tried it right the, he played it somewhere and I said try that right at the beginning we tried it right at the beginning and then it was like what I got really excited about was the kind of the, the, the capitalized idea of the aliens are coming, you know, like, let's start like the fucking aliens are coming. Let's not pretend they're not. They are. You know, let's be scared of a white dot. That's, that's great. Let's start like that. And that stayed, and that was Mika's starting point. In fact, the first time we, we met, within a minute, we were looking at the white dot on the screen talking about it. And, um, And then the music was constructed over many months. It wasn't, it was just, Mika went on the same journey I went on. It was another part of my journey, but for her it was equivalent to the journey I'd been on, or Walter had been on, or uh, uh, Dan, Tom Debenham had been on, or uh, Paul had been on, or anyone had been on. We were all, it was like in for a penny, in for a pound. You were just like, we, we're here till it works. And, um, and, it was, uh, and it's the alchemy of trying to make all of those ingredients <laughs> woven, you know, in, indistinguishable from one another, re- completely interreliant. no one thing more present than the, than the other they all they're all it's an it's a it's a symphony of all of those ingredients it's an orch you're orchestrating all of those ingredients to, to point in the same direction you know and they have different calibrations and functions but you know you stay with it until it all feels kind of balanced.
0: It has a mixture of familiar horror tropes the manic playing of violins at high pitch and an almost noir-like hook when Scarlett Hansen is trying to whine in her victims and but what makes this soundtrack so unique is how it is also part of the soundscape of the film. During the murders, the industrial thudding on the soundtrack could have been in the room itself. It never lets you get comfortable with it. Just when it seems you might get something quite formal, it will do something to catch you off guard, like the film. This is a score that would have that I've not heard anything like it in many years, also. Yet, like everything in this film you are never allowed to really settle into it. It It's constantly pushing and pulling you into different places. And I think, just to kind of go to the film's ending now, that this might be seen as a letdown, and I'm not going to ruin it entirely, but it almost seems fitting that Scarlett Hansen herself would become the victim of an attempted sexual assault, and essentially what happens, she is trapped by someone who tries to rape her, and as her A salient realises the terrible truth. A dark-formed alien creature stares back at the skin it was wearing. The creature is terrifying and odd and stares into the eyes of the scarlet handsome mask we have seen it on. We've no idea what it was really thinking. And you can try as much as you want to think up ideas as to what this creature is thinking about as it stares back at this face. I don't even like to dwell on it too much, but... Now, Under the Skin is a film that, from beginning to end, is looking at you, literally, I think, with the film's beginning, where we see that eye. And it holds up a mirror to our culture, our sexuality, our perception of others and ourselves. We might not have definitive answers to the question it asks or wants us to think about, but and unlike so much of the human experience, it is baffling, strange, and at times thoroughly perplexing. Under the Skin, through the age-old classic of an alien stuck on Earth explores our species in a way which is both thoroughly original and deeply personal. Now, since I've seen it, I haven't stopped thinking about it since the day I saw it. I can say with no hesitation whatsoever, it's one of the most original films to have ever been made. It is, for me, the pinnacle of what filmmaking should be, and I can say with almost 100% certainty it will be my film of 2014, possibly the decade. And yes, if you were to make me draw up a list of the top 10 best films ever made it would sit proudly along with Citizen Kane and the like and it doesn't surprise me that some critics don't get it or feel passionately about it as I do but I think this is a film that over time will become a classic for the ages and it was interesting because when I was tweeting about this um, I was recommended to go and watch Glazy's other film Birth um, and I, I went back and watched it and I felt very similar about Birth as the way I did about Under the Skin and I, I read some reviews of Birth that came out at the time and it was a real kind of 3 out of 5, 6 out of 10 film and it, it surprised me in so many ways because again that's that kind of hype I guess that surrounds so many films for example um, Captain America The Winter Soldier has just come out and it's been getting 4, four star reviews in a lot of in a lot of publications and under the skin kind of a lot of critics seem to be kind of giving this film kind of a very average um, reviews and I think that's quite telling because I, I, I think to me that suggests people don't quite understand it, and I don't think it's a film that really serves people to see it once I think you have to go back again and again and I firmly believe that we will be talking about this film for a very very long time and I hope in some way I have gone in this episode to kind of explain why I like it so much and why I think so highly of it. Um, if you kind of have any thoughts on Under the Skin, please do let me know at the usual place at 24framescast.gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, at 24framescast. And I can say, um, I was speaking to Joachim about this and, I, and I, I don't think it's going to get to Norway and that's such a shame and I, I don't know, kind of, it might have gone out the cinemas now, but if, if you can... Um, please do check this film out and definitely when it hits kind of home video uh, make sure you see it because I personally think we are looking at a masterpiece so I hope you enjoyed the show many thanks for listening and I will be back soon thanks bye